And we're live. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to episode eight of the Redesign Growth Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Shrutaj Gautam, and I'm joined by my co-host, uh, Shruti Goli. Uh, we're very excited today because uh, we're joined by uh, Julie Kim. She is a product lead at Typeform, and it's it's a phenomenal tool that's had a phenomenal product-led growth motion. It's design first. And uh, thanks for joining us, Julie. I'm really excited to have you here. Uh, if you could, just to set the stage and set off the bat, if you could tell everybody uh, a little bit about your background and your journey and how you, how you got to where you are now. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Um, thank you for having me, <laughs> Shruti and Rit. Uh, so I'm a product lead at Typeform. Currently, what I do there is I lead our integrations and platform strategy and also i'm like the main point of contact when it comes to all of our partnerships at type 4. so how i literally got to where i am right now is, is for the last decade my domain expertise has kind of focused on like business applications within b2b SaaS, and more recently more upmark focused in um in how to bring a, a company like Typeform up market with our partners and enterprise initiatives so that's kind of like where I am, have been doing <laughs> across other companies as well. So um, back from IBM or even Ring Central, it's a, a video plus phone and meetings product. So similar fashion, I've always been working in the integrations and platform space. Cool. Yeah. Um, so that so when when you say that like you know uh, Typeform is evolving more up market, and I th- I think this for I'm sure one's heard. But um, primarily, at least for for as long as I've known it, right, Typeform's been uh, like self-serve for the large part of it, and it's been driven by a PLG motion. So mm-hmm. uh, is it is it essentially going through uh, an evolution from, from like self-serve? And it's like keeping it self-serve core and expanding to like selling to enterprises. And could you talk to me a little bit about what that means for the product itself? Yeah, so I think this is very, it could apply generically across the board, not just Typeform, but like um, there are companies like Typeform who, you know, built a successful product market fit application that is like loved by everyone. And we had a really strong premium brand that worked on a lot of word of mouth. Even today, it's self-service is our majority of our business today. But we are trying to expand our portfolio, not just from like self-service, but into upmarket, meaning like enterprise companies. And, and how do we do that is we are seeking for other growth signals that are not just focused on the core product. It often involves um, expanding your portfolio, not just on core features, but maybe extending your core features with your partners and offering more functionality that way that you're not building everything um, from in-house, you know, so, you know, integrations are a part of that, um, opening up, uh, your APIs to offer more developer use cases, um, that I can kind of go into further, like all helps us kind of drive our portfolio up market. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's, that's really interesting. So like, as, as you, like, as you, like adopt an up up market focus, right? Um, is it is it something where you need to you need to actively think about like, hey, how do we how do we do this without 
like destabilizing or disturbing our existing self-serve business or is it something that happens like fairly orthogonally like is it just something it's like a separate undertaking and it it has no bearing on the self-serve business or is it like hey we're changing the product as a whole and we need to make sure that our self-serve business is unaffected as we as we like go and and get this like different user persona essentially yeah because like we you know you know as an organization we don't want to make a hard trade off like we don't want we don't want to make a trade off between core and like um going up market right so mm-hmm. in that way in 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 a sense we structure our work separately right so you have like the core teams working on like the native features but then you have another another group like my group um that I'm in focuses on enterprise feature sets, but also expanding our feature sets with our partners. So anything regards to like business automations or extensions, like building an app ecosystem so that mm-hmm. we offer not just type form to collect data through a form, but maybe expanding use cases such as like, can you collect bookings with Calendly? Can you collect payments with Stripe? We are starting to expand our core product functionality by bringing mm-hmm partners and integrations um, as part of like every core feature we build to provide more discovery and easier ways for you to discover these new types of use cases through our partners. And often and often that translates into revenue, right? Because right. Um, when we are looking up, like when we are looking at, well, they, they coin it as partner-led growth in many ways, but okay. partners also act as distribution channels, right? Mm-hmm. So... For example, you know, um, uh, Typeform itself is not um, the only tool that people use in their tech stack, right? <laughs> people often embed a Typeform in a CMS or a website builder. So we have a mm-hmm. lot of strategic partners that focus on that side of the realm. You need right. a Typeform to collect data and further manage your leads in a CRM. So we have CRM partners. We also have... You know, you collect a type form to put together email distribution list. So we have email automation, you know, partners, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's often, um, I, I was losing track of where I was going. What was your original question? <laughs> oh, my, my original question was was about like, uh, like it, it was about about the trade off. Like, how do you, how do you like not destabilize like you know your existing self serve business uh, mm. as as you choose to expand into into wait the wait other, wait yeah uh, we were going to that section. yeah yeah so so we have like a separate work structure one on enterprise on partners and another one on core yes yes got it I, I mean I have a follow up question to to what you yeah. were talking about like as like your role at Typeform you're mm-hmm. leading all of these different types of partnerships how do you mm-hmm. evaluate what might be the most important partnership? Because all of the use cases you mentioned are quite important, right? So how do you prioritize or how do you balance what you're going to work on next? Yeah, and often like to put a more uh, abstractive view, um, it's it's about prioritizing your product in the way that you want to prioritize your go-to-market strategy, right? And how you mm-hmm. want to show up in the market. So it's often like prioritizing which vertical solutions you want to prioritize mm-hmm. and the tech stacks within those. And also having a clear identification of your ideal customer profile as well and what jobs you want to solve. So for us, it's like, you know, focusing on like sales and marketing workflows, you know? Mm-hmm. Like today, we also focus primarily on SMB and the tech stack of those is different from like a true enterprise company with 200 employees, which I am trying 
to move there. So I'm, right. I'm trying to hold my tech stock and that you were trying to reassess our partnerships through that lens. Right. right. So as um, like the strategy is like ever evolving. <laughs> right. Yeah. What, so what um, are some learnings? Like how would you compare your SMB customer persona to a medium size and like, maybe like how are your partnership structures changing if you can go into a little more detail on that as well? Yeah, let's see. Um, we often find, so for example, um, the stack of tools that, you know, a mom and pop top, mom and pop shop would use would really, really differ from the stack of tools that an enterprise customer would use. Right. right. So, um, and I can go really meta too. So a really good example is like, you know, a lot of people use Calendly. Everyone yeah. uses Calendly. We, we use it, yeah. Yeah, but as you <laughs> go into market, maybe you would use Acuity, <laughs> you know? So it's um, it's understanding the breakdown of like the customer base of each of those partners as well. Mm -hmm. And we look at assessing TAM, so total adjustable market, meaning customer base who use your product and your partner's product in tandem. So for mm -hmm. my standpoint, my KPI is like improving integration adoption. So right. if we like out of the 400K, this is like up in the air, like I'm just making numbers. If we have like 400K overlapping customers that we want to tackle and penetrate, how much of them are using our integration? Because they use both of our tools and their tech stack. And we just know that if you're using an integration, you're likely to be within a business workflow using both tools and you're likely to be more sticky. Right. Yeah. But I could go really meta too. Like um, the ways you um, integrate is also vastly different from when you are a really small customer to a really large enterprise customer. And mm -hmm. this is like, like generically speaking, like SMB to enterprise companies have different ways to integrate. Like, mm -hmm. and I would just like put it in a spectrum. It's like you have the no coach strategy because like if you are a small medium business owner, a small business owner, you don't want to code. You're not a coder. Right. <laughs> yeah, but, most often you can't. Like, you don't even know how, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, if you're an enterprise company who often have, like, in-house tech teams, mm -hmm. you might have, you most likely have, like, a proprietary tech stack. And you don't want to store all your data within this tool. You have your preferred tech stack and your private, you know, makeshift database that you want to, that you want to pull data into your stack. So maybe mm -hmm. you use APIs or webhooks. So your mm -hmm. portfolio changes not from a strictly no code strategy, but to a low to high code strategy. Right. So mm -hmm. now that's kind of evolving into like, okay, if you're a larger, larger mature company, and this is just talking from my experience in other companies in a lot more mature states, uh, maturity stage in their um, integration strategy is that often you would have an integration team focused on non-technical users but you have a platform team focused on more technical users <laughs> right right and the personas are different um so uh that that is uh, that is really interesting to me and i i have like something uh because so we we at, at trimodular like we straddled uh for a while like this this use case like we have enterprise customer like large enterprises right yeah. um where we're not not uh, not only are there like the kind of data they need to collect is they need more like you know more data types like more uh, different types of like survey different functionalities and capabilities on like the data collection front right yeah. but also as users they are just more um sophisticated right like you have someone that's a dedicated designer and like you have like teams of ux researchers and then we but we also have like our 
sort of entry level solution, which is towards smaller teams or like an e-commerce store owner, right? That's like wants to sell his shoes online. Uh, right. And this person doesn't know how to code, is not a designer, is not a UX researcher, but right. we need to make our tool like usable for them as well, right? So uh, I guess my question is, do you see like an like with the integrations and stuff, of course, there's like an evolution in all of the kinds of data I can collect through Typeform, but do you also see like an evolution happening in terms of like, as you're looking to move up market, your new persona is demanding more like analytics wise, like dashboard wise, like, hey, I, I, want, I want to be able to do these kinds of operations on Typeform where that might not have been the case for your self-serve audience or maybe on a limited basis for your self-serve audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, maybe I, I'll answer it this way. I think mm, often, often working in product, um, as you evaluate your feature set, um, mm -hmm. you start to make decisions based on do you want to build it natively yourself, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, white labeling solutions, or do you want a partner? Or do you just right. want to buy, you know, like it's yeah. those like build by partner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I often find myself debating with the core teams about whether depending on the use case and the persona and your value prop of the product, whether it makes sense to build it natively or should it mm -hmm. be partnering, <laughs> partnering mm -hmm. and extending core, core functionality. Right. So I think in that light, um, I, I would just say it that way. Um, a really good example is like, Oh, one, a really hot one. So um, ChatGPT and OpenAI, it's kind of like everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Talk <Something>. about that. <laughs> I think there's there's partnership benefits, right? Obviously, mm -hmm. but it's something that you want to like also natively build within a product. We did, we did, did um, a small experiment working with, um, I don't know if I should mention, like uh, Unbounce, by the way. <laughs> oh, hey, yeah. great. That was uh, yeah. Darby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um i know Ambounce has like their own like um they acquired a smart copy which was like an ai copywriting solution and we were mm -hmm. discussing like, oh does it make sense to like partner with you guys to integrate and offer this functionality or does it make sense to like build it natively um what we often find out is like users um they are unfamiliar unfamiliar with ai technologies right they kind of shy away from it. So reducing much friction as possible from the core experience to make it seem like it's part of the core product was a really big learning for us. So yeah. like that, you might want to just build it natively as part of your offering, right? Mm -hmm. but things like now we're going into like more complicated use cases, like payment, you don't, there's a lot of risks with payments, even with signatures. Like if you want to build a signature solution, which is just rather partner and like use off something right. off the shelf and, and, and extend your core functionality. So an example, like, like we are form builder, right? So you mm -hmm. have questions. So we have question blocks. Does it make sense to make our own signature block or do we just offer a DocuSign block? You know, so here, here's my question for you on that though. Like, and this is interesting. So what, I think what, one of the things that makes Typeform like compelling as a product and unique is the fact that you, you are designed first, right? Like, and, and it's it's easily like the most beautiful surveys I've ever built. I've used a lot of survey tools yeah. by and far, like Typeform has the most beautiful surveys I've ever built, right? But <laughs> as, you, as you go into uh, like, you know, playing with integrations and stuff and, and actually like looping other people and other uh, like other partners in, how do you maintain 
that design first approach like or how do you standardize right how do you make it so that it's not jarring or it doesn't look like a patchwork thing do you hold your partners to certain design standards or like yeah. I'm, I'm just curious like what what do you do or is there a trade-off there and you're just like bite the bullet and you're like hey we're gonna we're gonna trade this off for more f- functionality but this might detract from our design first approach yeah and that is often that is part of the debate too sometimes when we start thinking about like oh like do we open up our product um we have not <laughs> um a large, we have been building these in, in-house but um like often, like I would, I would kind of mention an example of the Apple store. Like when they first opened it up, they had really strict guidelines in terms of which partners are included in their offering. They have strict design standards into like what UX components can be reusable versus what could be custom, you know? Right. And that is all part of the vetting process when you're trying to onboard each partner and let them build. Right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's putting those standards in place. And this translate into, translates into a design system. You know, how right. do you want to look and feel to look the same so that when you're, you know, like uh, maybe building a, a block that is more like an integration. So like, like a payment block with Stripe or a payment block with PayPal, how does it mm-hmm. look similar to block, like to, to question type to question type, right. To make it right. look as possible. So um, it is a design and engineering and partnerships um, standard that you need to set in all three folds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, Typeform's advantages and then how did, how does that translate into the standards that you have maybe even set when you're working with the partners? Um, yeah. So I think um, we're quite early into that, but it's um, in terms of standards, like, it's well actually we are very very hand holding <laughs> in terms of doing uh kickoffs as well and joined and work right uh, like, yeah it, it's more like a collaboration like um like joint kickoffs with our partners like we assess like the persona what problems we want to solve what kpis are we trying to solve um or reach um what use cases and what solutions can work within a month or two months time frame. We, we kind of let assess that in all levels, um, and having really clearly clarity on the on the joint problem statement as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Um, and mm-hmm. and so so as as you're thinking about like okay, hey, I want to bring these partners on, right? I I want I want to uh, like you know I want to maintain like type forms like design first standards or like design standards, right? Um, so there's a conversation you're having with with you know, and, and based on, I'm assuming, based on which partners you bring in, right? Like mm-hmm. the way that, and what functionality that partnership would bring to Typeform, the conversation mm-hmm. is different, like the feasibility mm-hmm. of that integration, the scale of that, scope of that changes. Uh, mm-hmm. But how do you, how, like, where where does customer input uh, play a role in terms of how you how you prioritize your integration road mapping or like just general Typeform roadmap? Like, how do you collect and synthesize customer feedback when you are at least for like you know the core business like the self-serve piece uh and then and then how like how is that differ from how you're doing it for enterprise or is it like you you've met you've like you're scaling that practice out as is for the enterprise piece of it as well yeah definitely scaling that out as we start more learn more and explore more about that persona yeah um mm-hmm. i mean for i mean even for I don't think there's like much difference to be honest. 
Um, mm -hmm. I think when it comes to enterprise, it actually comes to be more handholding. Like even in past companies I worked at, you rely, you definitely rely more on a sales motion for sure for enterprise yeah. to get customers. Yeah, for for like the self service business, um, I think it's most of them is just already at scale where you could listen to a lot of customer feedback coming from your support tickets. But we also have a tool called like Chattermill, and Gong helps helps mm -hmm. with that as well. Well, actually, Gong is more for sales calls. But mm -hmm. um, when we have Chattermill, we can like look at all. It kind of aggregates all the customer feedback coming from every different source, from your right. community. Like we also have a community. We have um, um, forums as well. The help 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 center is also another mm -hmm. source of feedback. Mm -hmm. Got it. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 but with, with enterprise like you know the sale the sales motion for enterprise as you said I, uh, I i don't think personally that there's ever going to be a juncture where you have like an enterprise product-led growth motion um mm -hmm. like because because like I, I don't see anyone just like not talking to anybody and like making a six-figure purchase right okay. like i feel like that's you know <laughs> you gotta talk to somebody for that but mm -hmm. I, I think i think like where where like uh, a product can facilitate or at least like make that conversation easier is um, like in terms of how quickly it's able to establish its value for those enterprises. Right. Cause at least for us, like when we're, when we're doing our enterprise conversations, right. Like there's, there's like the initial outreach and that's like sales driven, but then there's like this period of, Hey, let me play around with your tool. Right. Mm -hmm. if, if it's a new customer, it's like, let me, let me sandbox your stuff, play around with it. And I feel like anytime we've closed a deal, it a hundred percent of the time it's because the customers like love that experience. Yeah. And so for us, that experience is like super important, even, even in like a sales motion. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, how, how does Typeform uh, like, does Typeform think about like a demo or a sandbox experience as different from a regular Typeform use case? Like when, when, when you're doing, you know, uh, like, are you thinking about like enterprise when you're thinking about enterprise sales facilitation? Are you like, hey, I need, I need like an enterprise sandbox for this, or is it different? Uh, or is it just like, hey, just use, j just go and use the type form tool unsupervised, and that and that should kind of get you where you need to be. Like, how 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 is it different? Like when when you're when type forms having a conversation with an enterprise customer, right? How yeah. how how does that differ from just uh, someone just showing up and using it? Mm, largely like what we offer is the same like like um the the major difference today i mean we're still like building a lot of more enterprise based functionality but the core experience is still the same like what mm -hmm. could be so different about an enterprise customer is like they would um well you can either categorize into like what are features that are not uh, that are um not helping you to close the sale <laughs> right what are what are nice to have features that could come on later on on the, later on like after you onboard with us right mm -hmm. so in the first category like objections to close a deal could be like compliance and security features right you know, mm -hmm. those that you can't just um just brush off so right. we would have you know like a roadmap just focus on that but nice to have are more like you know it could be features that help with, you know, um, helping larger teams on board, like collaboration mm -hmm. features, for example. You know, that's a really good example, actually. Or if you have, 
you know, as you start to onboard more customers, and if you have a lot more of them, you start seeing an enterprise-specific persona where you have like the IT admin versus the actual like practitioners themselves and their workflows are different and they want to have control over like previews and permissions Mm -hmm. or roles about what can they do in the product versus not, right? Then you kind of go into that problem space a little bit. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So like, I guess my next question would be, right, as as Typeform envisions like an enterprise, like, you know, like an upmarket or tries to consolidate upmarket. Yeah. What, what is like, what is the, what is the vision? Like ultimately is Typeform competing with Qualtrics and like, you know, your question pros and like the super high end, like, you know, like the ultra enterprise survey platforms, or are you like, Hey, this is our niche and like, or, or like we're, we're like self-serve plus plus and, and like, you know, it's not Qualtrics, but it's also not, like Google Forms, right? Like it's the, like, it's, right. Like Google where, Forms. Where the, right. <laughs> like, you know, what's yeah, the, like, what's the sweet spot, I guess? Like where, like within the TAM, right? Like where's, where's the, like what, uh, like what, what segment are you looking to occupy, I guess? Yeah. And, and actually that's a really, really great question because um, that's, um, that's what even we, we, we talk about live. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is just my, my perspective and, and me kind of working with the teams and our leadership on them. But we kind of see ourselves as a conversational Qualtrics. So you have like a Qualtrics and a Survey Monkey on this side, but maybe you have, you know, intercom on that side, right? right. So, but where we see ourselves as a conversational qual- Qualtrics in the sense that we give, we kind of transform the the online interactions market. We like we see ourselves as giving you the best interactions that a brand could have with their consumers at scale. But mm. we do better than an intercom is that um, you, do, you can do it without having to deploy human agents at a greater cost. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And, and we think like, you know, a form builder and form business is, you know, it's traditionally where we played at, but we also think about forms as like a piece of the web. So yeah. if we were to kind of say it that way, yeah, we have a, I think a huge uh, advantage and a mm-hmm. great market. <laughs> yeah. Do you I'm find, sure. I'm curious, like, do you ever see like competitors? I mean, Google form, let's be real. They just suck. But like, <laughs> um, you see like other form type companies, like taking upon your advantages as a company uh, or do you see them sticking to their lane and, and you guys have found that niche? where you stood out and dominated that aspect. Oh, definitely. Like we, we definitely had, um, we pride on a product, strong product market fit um, based on, because we, we are B to B to C eventually, right? So businesses who really care about their brand stick with us. Um, and a large value prop is like, we have the most highest completion rates. Um, wow. Yeah. So like, uh, because of the experience and the conversational UX, and um, and it's quite it's quite interesting because uh, we often see the same signal and the same feedback we hear from developer customers as well, like agencies, like to um, like like agencies who deal with a lot of clients and they build a lot of type forms on behalf of them is a really great example. They don't often go through our builder. They just mm-hmm. programmatically create a type form based on our APIs. Oh, like, why do you? What? So you're a developer customer. What? Why do you? What? What makes you pick us versus I don't know APIs of another form product? You know, right? 
Like, is there a developer yeah. up better? Well, it's it's often <laughs> that that's not the major reason. The major reason is still like, well, I mean, you still have the best experience and you still have the best completion rate. So that's why we still rely on a type from for your responded experience. Right. Um, so I find that pretty interesting. So I think I think like if Typeform is able to like anchor its respondent experience, which is which is again like supreme, right? And and then and then you're able to spin up like, you know, the, you're able to spin up like all of these functions without compromising on, uh, the you know the the, the the like the respondent experience. Like I think I think that's that's appealing to like any company to be like, hey, let's start using this because we're gonna get more responses from like hard earned like hard earned. Uh, either panel panel recruit uh, panel recruits or or like or like you know customer time like we're just gonna get more feedback if we implement Typeform like at least that's the like you know that's the correlative suggestion. Mm -hmm. uh, but but now I get to also like have a bunch of flexibility and functionality in terms of how I spin uh, spin up surveys and that's that to me is like really interesting and and it's a balancing act I, I assume right like because uh, it's it's easy to like just like switch focus uh, to, to enterprise and then, and then like, you know, like, and you make too many like enterprise focused decisions that might cause this to deteriorate. Um, and, mm -hmm. and uh, so my question, I guess, is uh, like, how do you, how do you prioritize? Like, you know, like what, what features you build down? So, you know, we've talked about like a bunch of integrations, you guys, you, you know, you're talking about a bunch of integration partners. Do you have like a specific like standardized framework or is it in terms of in terms of how you how you like approach, like consider all of the possible integrations you can build and then which ones you, you decide to focus on? Is there like a standardized framework you follow or is it very um, like is it is it like a very flexible like case by case process, I guess? Yeah, and we're still working on an evolving framework, but you know, because we have a focus like department, fo like we, we have because we have a focused department on enterprise, you know, initiatives, mm -hmm. and that includes like you know core enterprise features plus like our partner portfolio. We start to look at um, prioritizing integrations that can help us drive more adoption towards larger teams and companies and large organizations. So that would mean, you know, not necessarily looking at everything from like an SMB customer angle, but what is the tech stack of the enterprise customer? What is the gap that that is the reason that we are not winning those deals? Do we what like how do we identify and prioritize? Like, is it a Adobe or a Marketo that, you know, enterprise yeah. use? And it's often involving and working with other strategy teams um, within the company to kind of assess that market opportunity and um, opportunity sizing because these are net new customers as opposed to assessing opportunities for existing customers that you could just talk with. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and on the flip side, I'm curious, like, what, I don't know if you can share this, but like, what's on your roadmap up and coming, like in a partnership point of view? And that might, yeah. Yeah. So, but I thought I would ask anyways. <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, oops, sorry about that. Um, it's not, well, I'll tell you that it's not going to be like just enterprise for sure. Like mm -hmm. I'm still, 
I'm still responsible for taking care of the SMB business, but also the enterprise business, right? I will still have a portion of that roadmap, like driving overall adoption of our integrations, which is like often, Mm -hmm. you know, we want to make the overall end-to-end experience of our integrations better, right? Like, Mm -hmm. well, like, um, what is, how can we, how can we reduce friction and how you install an app? (laughs) It could be simple as that or improve app. I don't know the app listings themselves. Um, how can we, you know, improve the onboarding experience? So yeah. that is side of the roadmap. But I still, but another side of the roadmap is like, do we build? Which integration do we build a net new one to like reduce closed loss deals? So right. it's a balance. Yeah, <laughs> and and, and... Conundrum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And in terms of defining like product success, right, for, for, for like both of these fronts, like you find that like your metrics change, right? Like when you're dealing with self-serve, at least in my experience, like when, when you're dealing with self-serve, like volume type, uh, volume type cases, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking a lot at like Dow and Mao, like stickiness type metrics. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas like as, as like the use case gets more and more enterprise, I feel like revenue starts taking more of like a front stage like how do you how do you um define product success like is it a different set of metrics for the integrations and a different set of metrics for the core that's a good point because um at, at one point it goes back to like the company goals and your north star and everything that mm-hmm. you need to do whether it's like smb or enterprise like yes there's a conundrum between which ones and how much weight do you give to each one but they at one point they all need to align towards the north star of like submissions Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like we get more business if we get more submissions and that's how we build our plans. <laughs> and we, we just know that, you know, an enterprise customer gives us more submissions An enterprise customer using enterprise focused, you know, um, integrations within their tech stack collects a lot more responses than, you know, um, tools that you would use as an SMB customer. So it's, um, it, it, it aligns at the end of the day. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so switching gears, right? Like I, what, like as, as a practitioner, like as a PM, you know, yourself, like what do you find at least recently? Like what, what do you, if I would ask you, like what is your biggest frustration, like product, like in, in building product, like what, what for you is like the biggest thorn in your side where you're, where you're like, if I could solve this problem for myself, I would be much more efficient as a like as a PM, uh, like or or I would be like a like I would be able to add more value or what have you. Like, what what would you say is like your biggest frustration today? Oh my god, I think I feel like I don't know about you guys, but I uh-huh. feel like a lot of the problems are not just product related, <laughs> okay. right? I mean, <laughs> like, like, what can I say? Um, She's like, how much I time you got? Like, I got a laundry list of items. <laughs> um, I think, I think when you're in a, uh, let's see, I'm just trying to think about like, like similar patterns working across different companies. Um, I think the expectations um mm-hmm. of product kind of changes also depending on like which stage of your company and how fast growing you are 
you know, you know, I felt that, you know, even at Typeform, I still feel like um, evolving expectations on like how product and engineering and, and design should work as well. Um, and we're still kind of figuring out ways of working. But in a lot more mature companies, I, it's a lot more fixed. I don't know how mm -hmm. I'm going to speak more. Um, but I'll, I'll just like stop there. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I don't know. Like you guys, what, what is so hard? Um, like within your within your like professions, because like you guys are not strictly just product. It's it's you guys so, are also leaders as well. Um, I I can I can tell you, at least for me, like on on the product front, and this is this has been, by the way, our like this has been our persistent cross to bear for building product forever. Uh, and uh, it's it's got to do with the fact that we have two distinct types of users uh, yeah. and they're coming down to one product right so we okay. have like our customers right these are the pms and ux researchers and ux designers that are going in and building usability usability tests and launching them and and using yeah. our platform then we have our testers right these are the people that like are part of our panel they register to be testers um they, they take tests they they go into their tester dashboard see what's available to them uh like see what like you know uh enter their compensation info. They have like a bunch of use cases. Now, one of our challenges is that um, oftentimes the people that are signing up to be testers, right? Their feedback is very valuable. We want we want them because uh, they are lay people and they're able to emulate like a user experience as opposed to like some expert giving you feedback. But one of the downsides of it is they are not the most discerning in terms of what they click on because for them, their incentive is, hey, I will get paid to test on this website, right? So they just show up and they fill out every form on my website. No joke. Like literally, and this just causes <laughs> ambient noise, right? Like we have testers signing up for customer accounts and we try to titrate this stuff, but it's just a persistent noise, right? They, they, they sign up for sales demos when they're not like, they don't want to buy anything from us, right? Like they, but they, yeah. they're just filling out every form. They're, it's they're like Monday mornings, like are filled yeah. with like, hey, Shruti, I got to delete all these stupid testers signing up for like, like, I, I, I need, I need to like, you know, so I think, I think one of the challenges is, is like, hey, how do I, how do I create a genuinely bifurcated experience where at any point someone that has like, like low to no awareness of like what they're about to do, right? How do I guide them to the right spot? Because if they do sign up to be testers, then they're going to be fine, right? Like they'll they'll get served the tester experience and all of that, and and that's good. But but when they just show up on our general website, right? How do I at any juncture without ruining the customer experience tell them like, hey guys, you're in the wrong place, go here, right? Like. And, and that's like a persistent problem. Every time we think that we've had it solved, uh, we just like learn more and more about how hard it is to motivate, like <laughs> motivate some people uh, that aren't discerning. Like, you know, so how do you, how do you cause discernment? That's my biggest product related issue. It's like filtering right out bad leads. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, no joke. I, I have it's to almost, It's almost like directing the right user to the right experience, right? Um, and, mm -hmm. and, and in an automated fashion. I think that's the real struggle. Um, huh. You mean like personalization? Yeah. Uh, but, like, yeah, when uh, I show up to the screen, if I'm a tester, can I render a UI that's a tester-friendly UI? And if I'm a customer, can I? But how do you determine that? And how do you, like this is an ongoing problem that we talk about where like, how do we know that went before they hit our, our landing page? Right. Mm, got it. Got it. Because like, 
you might have like multiple offerings within your product, but depending on like what role on your needs are, you might, you might have trouble finding the right experience for you. Right. Like it, imagine, imagine if like some, like anyone that wanted to sign up to be like a DoorDash delivery driver, right? Like they just showed up and DoorDash was like, dude, I just keep getting food orders from these people that don't want to order food. All right. <clears throat> they want, they want to sign up to be a DoorDash driver, but they just keep ordering food. Like, you know, uh, and, and I don't know why that is. And then of course you can have like two different apps, right. On, on that front. And I think that's how DoorDash manages it. Right. Mm. Uh, or like, you know, two distinct, uh, two distinct apps and they, they have no overlap. Uh, mm. but, uh, but for us, right. It's like, it's, it's web first. It's not mobile first. Like it's not, it's not like an app experience. It's a SaaS platform. These guys come right. in and, uh, and like, I need to send them to the right place. And this is, this is something at least we've I, tried. We're, we're, we've gotten better at solving for it with product, but it's not. Um, it's not easy. Uh, it's like it's been I, a persistent issue for us. And I will say, I'm sure, like we're not the only ones facing this, right? Like it seems to right. be any type of like marketplace, like a recurring issue for any type of marketplace um, on the yeah. web or like gig economy or marketplace. Yeah, apps exactly. Problem. You um, know, this is a this is one idea. I know, like maybe maybe. A lot of the problems that you were you were mentioning could be solved with like an onboarding experience, like a default onboarding experience, like based on like what your what your role is, um, and um, depending on that, like what are your use cases and what are you looking for, and um, we also actually Typhoon we actually released a new onboarding survey that collects both of those data, but also. Um, uh, allows you to kind of um kind of shop for different integrations per se depending on the your use case <laughs> mm-hmm. which which has been really beneficial for us to kind of grab more signals like top of funnel so that mm-hmm. know what experience you want once you land on the builder because like i feel like like a lot of different saas platforms your features will only get more complicated and you will build a lot more features into your product and people Uh will lost (laughs) right right and and things become like more hidden right so um i don't know like an onboarding yeah and and to your point by the way like we we've we've reworked our onboarding experience like multiple times and each time like i think we get better at titrating it but there is this overarching quality of of like honest honestly like desperation right like from from the tester pool right they're like i like we they're they're a very valuable asset for us right and we we love them when they when they sign up to be testers and they're able to test and it's successful for them as a use case because they're yeah. able to see the value of like, like hey i give my feedback and i get paid right um and it's valuable for us because hey we have more testers this improves like our test delivery and all of that stuff but uh anything outside of the tester experience, right? Uh, testers are, because the rest of our tool is like all of our messaging is like very technical. It's for like PMs and UX designers and UX researchers. So testers aren't really sure where they're at, right? If they don't don't go into the tester experience and B, uh, they're desperate. Like, so, so like, cause $10, so it's not, we don't only have testers in the US, right? We pay $10 out for testers regardless of where they're from. So that's, yeah. that's like significant amount of money for, for like, a, for some people, like if we're getting testers from India, right? Like we have a tester pool in LATAM, like $10 goes a long way in those places. So they're like, I just want 10 bucks, man. Right. Like that's like when they have that feeling, 
and they're like not really sure where they are like on the site like everything we try like it's always like no i will fill out this form literally we added we went so far as to go so explicit to add a checkbox where mm-hmm. testers could be like uh, like literally it's it's like i understand that by signing up for this demo i am not <laughs> going to get paid to test right if i want to get paid to test i go to this url i like and it's like a, you read that you checkbox it guess what people just check it without reading it anyway right mm-hmm. like I like it and and oh we're like okay we're going to stop people from signing up with non work emails so like consumer uh domains like gmail guess what they sign up with misspelling gmail like g g a m i l dot com right so there's this overarching factor that we honestly haven't solved for uh which is like desperation right uh and testers are like i want i, I just want to sign up like you know i just want to i want to get paid to test and that that for me is my like white whale for like a product if i'm able to solve this with my product i'd be i'd be happy yeah <laughs> um, in the last like few minutes right if it's cool i'd love yeah, to yeah i think turn... we're nearing the end of our time sorry yeah, i'm getting too good it's like this is my therapy for the day i'm good to go now um julie i i know that you're such a strong leader at typeform and that's exciting and i want to know like <laughs> how do you manage it all right like how do you balance that with your personal life um and yeah i i want to pry and learn more about your personal life <laughs> you know honestly i um i recommend this to everybody um if you have a lot going on in your work life i feel like you need to just balance out your energy outside of your work life <laughs> whether it's through hobbies or getting a getting an executive coach, like they act like therapists for me, especially. So for me, I definitely got a career coach that helped me get tremendous clarity into my job and what I should focus on. Um, And also in terms of like, um, like hobbies, I've been just obsessed with salsa dancing recently. So definitely, um, even if I have a stressful day and uh, you just need someone to talk to, I just talk to my coach or I just dance it off. (laughs) No, I love that. That's amazing. And I've been meeting a lot of product leaders recently and founders who have been talking about this concept of an executive coach. Like maybe to those who don't know about it, can you share a little bit about how did you find one or, or, or like how, what are the benefits? Like, is it the same as having a therapist? Like, yeah, <laughs> some I don't know what, like, yeah. yeah. Um, so for me, I think, um, I, uh, I think like, like during COVID, every business was really hard and there was a lot of like, you know, changes that we were all going through, right. Every, every business. So just navigating that, I, I felt like I needed a lot of external help um, and get like a third party's perspective. So I just like reached out to LinkedIn to like a second degree connection and I asked for a referral and um, luckily I just I just found one. Um, so like her name is Shanti um, and I, I think I can, you know, give her a shout out, but um, she's been tremendously helpful in my career because everything is so personalized. Um, like I, I explain, um, because a lot of like product leaders, a lot of what they go through is not like product issues, but more like people issues or like 
ways of working issues, you know, a lot of like leadership, you know, um, coaching that you you might need as you grow in your career. So um, when I explain a situation, she almost like give an advice that is personalized to like, oh, you should say this to this person in this way, in this mm. situation. And she literally gives out a script for me. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah, awesome. it, it's been um it's been really beneficial one of the biggest advice that I did get um from my coach was there was a time where um you know people get laid off like I I know there was a lot of tick layoffs are a really big deal these days right Right. so everyone found themselves drowned in work and often filling for someone else's role definitely for me I was doing three jobs at a time (laughs) I don't know which very (laughs) overwhelmed and um um and she and she said to me like sometimes you know managing up can backfire it's um sometimes it's doing less work and it's about um taking ownership of what you actually control versus what you influence and really distinguishing that so for me what I control and own was like the the vision and strategy of the teams. So I started, you know, less managing up of all the situations that I don't have control over. Right. <laughs> Which is, I'm sure a lot too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and refocus all of that energy into putting together a plan and a vision and a strategy that is compelling. That is also beneficial for you to kind of show what you could do to leadership as well you know, yeah. in, in, in the times of turbulence. Yeah. So for me, that was um, just kind of repurposing like my my mental state and clarity and focusing on things that actually do matter and was just a reset for me. And, uh, yeah. and you know, having That's a coach. Such good that. advice. Yeah. 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 I, I think, I think like, you know, some people do it subconsciously. I think, you know, when, when you're when you're like in a managerial position or like, you know, you're in a position where you're wearing multiple hats, like even like in a startup, et cetera, there's th- obviously things that you like doing and things you, you don't. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, like where I feel like, you know, when I feel overwhelmed, like usually I switch gears and like get back into sales. Like for that's my way of like, I have control. I can, I have a one-to-one impact on revenue. And mm-hmm. like, I think for the rest of forever, regardless of how big, um, we get as a company i think i will always continue to do some sales calls just because i feel like it's 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 a way for me to like be like oh i can control this like you know i have i have the ability to to add value and make change on like a one-to-one basis Mm -hmm. um yeah well so we're nearing the end of our time uh thank this is i mean this has been an excellent conversation i think there's been like a ton of learning and also uh julie you played like makeshift therapist for me as i was venting about my product problems uh, if you if you want to take over my podcast have at it like i think you, 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 you do next. um uh but but no thank really thank you so much for your time uh and your insight you. and joining us um before before we go, is there anything that you'd like to let the audience know about what you what you got going on or something exciting that's happening uh, at Typeform or otherwise? Like this this we we like to give you like two minutes to tell tell everybody what you got going on with your life. Um, I don't know what to say. I mean, I think nothing comes up to mind right now, but um, but yeah, I, I I thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, that was a really fun chat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much. 
thanks everybody for tuning in and watching. Uh, this has been episode eight of the Redesign Growth Podcast. It happens yeah. every week on Fridays. Uh, we'll see you again next week. Thanks for coming on, Julie. And uh, everybody have a nice weekend. Thank you. All right. Thank Bye. you, Red and Shitty.